It'll be worth it. Just keep on going, my friend. Just don't back up. Don't quit. Don't stop. Just keep on going for God. Like the songwriter said, it will be worth it all. When we see Jesus. <laughs> Amen. Who for the joy that was set before him. What a Savior. I just like to do a big hallelujah, amen, one good time. If I could get my coat back on as slick as Doug Raines did, I'd do a coat swinging this morning. My heart stirred for the Lord. Boy, God's been good to us, hasn't he? There's so many things that we could, wouldn't even have the time today to say just recently what the Lord's done for us, done for our church. Um, but done for us individually. So we appreciate you being here. Let's turn in our Bibles this morning to the book of Titus and continue on going through the book of Titus and uh, hopefully get back to Romans here before long. But we'll try to finish this book up. We've not got much further to go. Um, And as quick as I preach through these verses, we'll get there in no time, right? And that's about as true as my diet starting Monday. In case you don't know. Amen. Well, if you're not saved, it'd be a good day to get saved. It'd be a good day. Today's the day. The Bible never tells you. To, in fact, it says the contrary. That tomorrow is promised to no man. And what is your life but a vapor that appeareth for a little time and vanisheth? And uh, so... What we're going to do for the Lord, we better get busy doing it and not put it off. And so if you think, well, I'll get saved at some point. I did this. I said this statement as a young person. Um, When I settle down and get older, then I'll get right with God. Getting right with God somehow to me was something older people did. I don't know. Has anybody ever struggled with those kind of thoughts as a young person? That's, that's just a lie of the enemy. You ought to get saved and start serving God with everything in you as early as possible in your life. And spare you a lot of heartache. And so if you're, the Lord's dealt with you about this matter of being saved, just come to Him. Look and live, the Bible said. So let's go and start our reading. We uh, in chapter we're in chapter two of the book of Titus, and uh, we've begun looking. Uh, we can start at the um, uh, let's see. Let me start here, just beginning in chapter uh, two and verse one. I'm not going to start reading there. Uh, Well, let's start our reading there. That'd be okay. Chapter 2 of the book of Titus, verse number 1. These are good verses. Uh, We looked under this heading here about a healthy family. Uh, And uh, so we are looking now in the the, um, uh, local church. This is something, remember now, Titus is being sent to set some things in order uh, and ordaining elders in every city, correcting false doctrine and many other things. And he comes to chapter number 2 and he tells the preacher, Speak thou the things which adorn sound doctrine, which are befitting sound doctrine. And he starts off with the healthy family uh, and he starts in uh, verse number 2 and says, The aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, in patience. 
It'd be hard to do to the benefit of the young men if you don't show up. Come on, you can amen that. It's not a trick statement. But what would our churches be like if all the, all the aged men decide not to show up anymore? And I'm not making light of bad health issues. Believe you me, I can't handle them. If I get a, if I get a kidney stone, you'll hear me crying from Oakdale. And nobody gets the flu like I do. Nobody gets sinus infections like I do. My wife will never understand what it's like to really be sick. And I'm not making light of those things, but there's a lot of people in here this morning in their elder years, and they're hurting. They're dealing with a lot of health issues, but they're here. Don't quit and let bad health get you away from God. If you can come, come, as the young men need to see you sound in charity. Right, if you're able. Now, you know there's folks that are not able, but... If you're able to go to Dollywood, you're able to come to church. Amen. And so if you're able to go to Walgreens, you're able to go to church. Okay, come on now. Don't die off on me now. That's nothing wrong with that. And I don't say that to attack anybody. I say that to say because you don't understand how vital you are to the good health of our church. Right? And uh, I think sometimes you get older and you get the idea uh, that I'm just washed up. I'm no good anymore. What purpose can I serve? Because I'm older, I can't do the things I used to do. I can't uh, go all the time like these young people go all the time. And I'm just... You feel somewhat useless, and, and that's the enemy lying to you. You, you are much needed, uh, and I'm speaking to our church because this is when I'm at. You are much needed at Harriman Baptist Tabernacle because men like me, even your pastor, these young men down here and other young men around my age, we need the aged men that I will sum up as being solid, being firm, being sure. They've withstood these waves and the and uh, uh, the test of time and they're, they, don't, they don't get blown about with every whim of we need you, you're needed in this church. Aged men and the same thing goes for the aged ladies. You're needed, don't let the devil will tell you you're no good and you're not worth anything. You can't do anything. You are vital to the health of this church. Right. You don't, listen, you don't have to be a preacher to be in the will of God. Right. Some, some people have the idea that if you're not, you know, out doing a certain thing, listen, you've got there, there, it is just, you are just as important. You remember that verse, they that go down to battle uh, and they that tarry by the stuff, they part alike. You know, these, these, these age, you may not be able to go to Africa and win Africans to Jesus, but you can be sound in charity and patience. You can be sober. You can be grave and temperate, sound in faith and in patience and be a great, a great help to your church. Right. By just being who God made you. Isn't that wonderful? Everybody's got their place. The aged women likewise, that they be in behaviors becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. And we've made it to this verse, number six, young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded. And that's 
So important for you young men to think biblically. Let me give you something that will not help you to be sober-minded. Video games will not help you to be sober-minded. Right? Get, stay out of the, the unrealistic and fantasy worlds and stay in reality. Right? Uh, reality. And uh, that's uh, uh, just a little side note there. Uh, but young men need to likewise be exhorted that they be sober-minded, that you be uh, biblically minded. And so we've got through those verses in the, dealing with the health of the family. And then he turns again to the preacher and we see a heading to follow because it's not just enough that I preach these things, right? Amen. Right. Say, well, God's called me to preach and I just go out. Listen, you got a lot of proving of yourself to do before anybody's interested in what you've got to say. Amen. Right. Amen. So, uh, young man, young preacher, uh, you need to uh, uh, not just uh, preach to everybody what to do, but you need to, in all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works. Not just when it's convenient for you to show up on Sunday mornings. God help young preachers that think they can float in and out of a church and be unfaithful and get up and tell everybody how to live. You, you're messed up in your thinking, young man. You want to be effective and successful in the ministry, then why don't you prove to me with a pattern of good work before you get up and tell me what I ought to be doing, how I ought to live. Amen. Now, I'll receive it because it's the truth, uh, but if you want to be, uh, have some uh, a bite to the message, why don't you live in a manner that's respectable? Amen. Amen. I think a lot of people fall out with churches not because of loose living in the pews, but because of a lot of loose living in pulpits that preach one thing and live another way. Amen. I've seen a lot of preachers. They'll get up, bless God, my family's never going to dress this way. They're not going to do that. And they'll be sitting in the pew dressed in the exact opposite of what they're preaching. Who's got respect for that? Not me. Right? Just do better not to preach it. That's fine. I can understand that. But don't get up and attack me when you don't do the same thing. That's hard to do. That's why the Bible said, uh, Paul feared lest I be a castaway, having preached to others and myself be guilty of the same thing. Boy, that's a great fear. Pray for your preacher. Because I'm subject to the same thing. That's why I'm exhorted, exhorted here not to just show a good works uh, in church. Anybody can stand up with God behind them and God preaching through them and preach a good sermon. Anybody can do that when God's doing the work. Right? That's the easy part. So not just on Sundays, uh, preacher, not just on Wednesday nights and Sunday nights and during camp meeting, but show a pattern of good works in your life. Right? It's vital. You're held to a much higher standard, not just in the eyes of men, but in the eyes of God. And if you're going to preach this, that's why the Bible said, be not many masters. See, so, some people want everybody to be a master. And the Bible says, no, be not many masters. Right, because there's a greater condemnation there. Amen. Amen. And uh, so, young preachers, uh, this is to myself also. In all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works. Doesn't mean people don't understand when we mess up. Everybody in here that's got a brain that's saved will understand when their pastor makes a mistake. Surely, right? You make mistakes, don't you? 
So sure you understand your pastor's a man, he can make a mistake. Any man gets in this pulpit and preaches for us can make a mistake. We know that and we understand that and we view them in that light. Uh, but a pattern of bad mistakes is not respectable. Right? So show a pattern of good works. Amen. Now he uses a colon here uh, to separate uh, a list. He's going to uh, um, go from this point and tell him the preacher, show thyself a pattern of good works, colon, and here's the good works of what I'm talking about. This separates uh, these, uh, this idea and setting forth of this list uh, as you would use this in, uh, in grammar. And this is to further illustrate what I mean by telling the preacher to show thyself a a pattern of good works. Here's what I'm saying. To further, not what I'm saying, here's what the Bible's saying, right? That's me. In all things, show myself a pattern of good works, colon, and doctrine showing uncorruptness. So if there's going to be a preaching uh, holding fast and there's going to be uh, 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 to, uh, you hushing the false and, and trying to preach to uh, uh, produce a, a healthy family, there's going to have to be a head or a heading to follow that's established in the pulpit. Amen. Thank God for a man like Brother Jones who set a good pattern of good works for our church to follow. Amen. He certainly did do that. And uh, so here's what he further, to further illustrate what I mean in this pattern of good works, because sometimes we get the idea it just means uh, dressing right or, or, or some of those things like that, or being faithful to church, which is certainly uh, something that is very important uh, for, uh, for a uh, preacher to do. Uh, but he further goes on to further say, and here's the first thing that he says, in doctrine, showing, thy, showing uncorruptness. Now, uh, if we look at what he says in, and mentions here first. And I, I wrote this down because this made a lot of sense to me. Uh, somebody, uh, a friend of mine put this on social media. Uh, but in speaking to the reverence, he said, we use the word man of God referring to a preacher. You've heard that said. Many people say that's God's man. That's the man of God. Can I, can I help any young preachers that are here this morning and tell you uh, exactly what I wrote down and I don't ever want to forget this. That should speak of possession before it speaks of position. You're God's man by possession. That means God owns you long before it has anything to do with what your position is in the church. God's man, the man of God, uh, doesn't exalt me above anything else other than the sense that God owns me. Right. It shows possession uh, more than it does position. And uh, 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 we've got a, a lot of haughty and high-minded, arrogant young preachers in our day uh, that need to be humbled to understand. And I don't know where they uh, heard this kind of preaching or where they come along in this thing. But you, you, you need to understand that you being a man of God just shows that God owns you, that you're under his authority before you're over in any authority towards man. Right. And uh, so uh, uh, young preachers, let all of us uh, remain humble and speaking. When somebody refers to us in that light, uh, it should mean our possession, uh, being possessed of him before it means our position. So that we should lead the way. 
you're, you're preaching to those to be sober, to exhort even the aged ones that are older than you. And it's not difficult. It's not easy for them uh, to, to, to try and listen to you being a younger man. But they humble themselves and do that. But they, that, that will, you will make it awful difficult for the work of God and the ministry to not be blasphemed for you to show yourself in any manner contrary to what he's fixing to say. And doctrine showing uncorruptness. So let me, let me mention this first. In teaching showing uncorruptness. Pure Bible truth, not for personal gain by opinion. We don't need preachers in the pulpit that will interpret scripture in a manner that will benefit anybody. Just preach the Bible, right? If I start interpreting scripture in a manner as to so not offend you, I become a hireling, right? And you, what we should want is a man that's at liberty to be in that pulpit and take a King James Bible and just preach to us without fear of what I'm going to do or I might leave and take my family out of here because you preach it. If it's in the Bible, we're just going to do our best to submit to it and we're not going to load down the preacher, God's man, uh, with a bunch of unnecessary worries about what I'm going to do with it. You just preach the book, preacher, and I'll do my best to submit to it. Right. If I get in my mind what I'm worried about or some preacher, listen, preacher, we can't not preach it or we can't sour or, or soften up the message as to do anything with the message to change it in a manner that's more acceptable to people. Can't do that. You got to be uncorrupt in your doctrine. You can't, you can't interpret things to make them fit what you want them to say. That's what it's meaning here. You need a man that's just going to rightly divide the word of truth to the best of God's ability that he gave him and the church being understanding that he's a man and apt to make mistakes. But in doctrine and his teaching and his presentation of the truth, he should not be corrupt. Let me give you an example. Uh, Paul said he called the leaders of Miletus uh, over and he said, uh, I have, uh, I, but I have, I have showed you and taught you publicly and from house to house repentance towards God and faith in Jesus Christ. Paul didn't change the message when he changed his crowd. Right. I've seen preachers do this, and this is more for the online folks than it may be for anybody here, but I get tired of preachers who know what, foot, what things to say when they're in certain camps and certain places, and so they'll emphasize repentance when it's convenient to get amens out of people and fit in and get an appointment for next year, and they won't emphasize it and focus on belief when that's convenient so they can get called back to that meeting next year. Why don't you just be a man and preach the Bible? And if somebody don't like repentance, they can go find the numerous churches around in their community that don't believe it alongside them. <laughs> but as for me, it's repentance towards God and faith in Jesus. Or you'll burn in hell sure as I'm preaching. <laughs> Amen. Hallelujah. He didn't change his message to fit him. Just preach the Bible. And doctrine showing uncorruptness. This is uh, uh, pure um, not, uh, not interpreting scripture and teaching things that are of his opinion. These are sound doctrine. This is things that he's been faithfully taught in the word of God. Say, well, what good is that for us, preacher? We're not a preacher. I don't know. I didn't write it. But we got to go through it. There might be a preacher listening online that needs to hear it. Maybe somebody here today. I don't know. But I, I tell you, this young preacher that stands before you today, I want to be in, uncorrupt in my doctrine. I want to be pure in my teaching. 
of the scriptures and the word of God. The next thing he says is gravity. Uh, this is again in speaking uh, uh, to these uh, a pattern of good works. Um, now, I think, uh, personally, I, I'm fine either way, but this could mean in, the, in, his, in my person uh, that I should be grave and sincere. Uh, but I think it's to show forth this in my preaching, in my teaching, uh, that I should show forth uh, gravity, which is honesty. Uh, we've been through that with the uh, others, the aged men and others. Uh, gravity. Sincerity in the preaching. Don't, does anybody in here want a dishonest preacher? Does anybody want to listen to a sermon from a lying preacher? Well, I better apologize to you because I say I'm done and I'm never done. But other than that, I try to be honest. <laughs> well, I forgot about my diet. I'm never honest in that thing. But anyway, y'all know that by now. So, Gravity. Aren't you glad when you, when you, when you step back and think, I, I, and I don't know why Brother Jones isn't even here, but I'm just thinking about Brother Jones and the legacy, I guess you so to speak, that he left behind. That's an honest man. And Brother Jones gets in that pulpit and I don't look at him as a dishonest person. He's honest. He's going to just honestly tell me what that Bible says and pray that I receive it and grow as a Christian. He's just going to be honest with me. Not just in his personal life. I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a great thing. I mean, uh, to be a, a preacher that's not just honest in his dealing in, 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 in doctrine and in the church, but honest in the community. Uh, um, uh, don't, wouldn't, wouldn't you like to sit back and say, uh, well, I, uh, my pastor's a crook. He's a good preacher, really stirs me emotionally, but he's a crook. He's as crooked as a dog's hind leg. Why don't you find a new church? I've been stirred emotionally at a bar. It don't take a work of God to stir somebody emotionally. I've listened to Waylon Jennings and George Jones and cried. Why don't you find you a preacher that's honest? Amen. And go to a church where you find out the preacher's honest. And he's not dishonest in his dealings with others, but also not dishonest to withhold from you something that's true because he knows you're offending on that point and he doesn't want to hurt you and lose a member. That's a dishonest preacher. God help me not to do that. It comes all across all of our minds, but I've got to be honest. And then he said this word sincere. Uh, the, the showing incapacity of decay without hypocrisy, genuine. Wouldn't you like to say, well, my preacher on Sunday mornings, you would think this about it, but you see him out at Kroger's and he's a totally different person. Young men, preachers, anybody might be listening online, preachers, why don't we be what we are in the community, what we are in our churches? Amen. A lot of blame gets put in Baptist pews and fundamental pews of young people walking off on God because they don't like Bible preaching anymore. I don't know how much that's true. They may just not like it from crooks. Yeah, amen. Y'all amen that now, young men. You know what I'm talking about. They hear somebody say it and preach it and then they see them out in the community and they see their dealings with others and they're not sincere. They're hypocrites. Right. I'd just rather man be an honest failure than a successful hypocrite. Amen. That's like nowhere man is. I can take it. I just don't want to, I don't want to be fooled. I want to know what I've got to work with. Don't you? I tell that to my kids, young people, just be honest. Just be honest. 
There's nothing you've done or shall do that I can't deal with. But don't lie because then I don't even know how to help you. I don't know what I've got, what I'm working with. Just be honest. Be honest. Without hypocrisy, sincerity. Look at verse number 8. And this head, this heading to follow. He said this uh, sincerity, comma, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. And I've said this before, I'm going to say it again. I've learned these three things as I'll come up from Brother Blue and other men that taught me this in the, in the ministry. Females, finances, and fame will ruin a preacher. But my pastor added another one to it, and I alliterated it into this and said foul speech will ruin a ministry. Yes, females can ruin a young preacher. We've seen that can ruin any age preacher. Finances can ruin a preacher and ruin a ministry. But there's another one that doesn't get talked about much, but needs to be, is a foul mouth and a preacher. Right? I got to speak sound things. When I'm around you in private, I shouldn't be uh, somebody uh, that speaks so freely with my lips uh, that, uh, that, that I should be ashamed of that. Right? It's, it's careful. I have to be extremely careful. Young man, let me exhort you. If you're in the ministry, you better watch your tongue and what you say. It will ruin you. If you get the name as a gossip, as a preacher, there's not a lot of people that might know it, but other preachers will know it, and you will never be used if you're a gossip in the pulpit. Watch your mouth. Get you in a lot of trouble. Females, finances, fame, and foul speech will ruin a ministry. Not just in the pulpit and doctrine showing ourself, showing uncorruptness, but sound speech out in the community would be nice as well. Amen to that? Because I don't want he that is of the contrary part to be able to say something about uh, you. He'd be ashamed when he tries to say something about you. Have you ever heard a man try to badmouth James Jones? If you can't get along with James Jones, you might as well go ahead and die somewhere. You can't get along with nobody. <laughs> Am I telling it right, Brother Jones? You ain't worth shooting if you can't get along with James Jones. <laughs> Amen. That's a great testimony to have. Now, Brother Jones would not put it that way. But I do. I can get by with it. I'm still a young preacher. So when people say bad things about him, they should be ashamed. Why? Why should they be ashamed? Because he has shown himself as a, having a pattern of good works. Doesn't mean he hadn't made mistakes along the way. He'd be the first one to say that. But his life has just been a pattern of good works. Has it not, church? And that's what we need in our pulpits. Thank God for men like Brother Beard and Brother Jones, these men that have left a pattern of good works. And so let's uh, move on uh, from this uh, heading to follow. And just let me take the last 10 minutes here and move forward. So uh, he uh, ends that with a period there in verse number 7. And then we're going to switch over in verse number 9. And uh, he wants honor in the field. And I'm not going to go to the other verses because most of us uh, know these verses. I'll preach through these uh, fairly quickly. But exhort servants to be obedient unto their own masters and to please them well in all things, not answering again. So I'll say it again. I'll say it quickly. But men, we ought to be the best employees on our job. The best workers on the job site ought to be Christians. 
and you know it and I know it, but there's some of the worst employees in your company claim to be saved. And you're almost ashamed to tell anybody you're a Christian lest they identify you with that sorry one that wouldn't hit a lick of a snake if it was curled up to strike at him. Amen. Don't be that man. You ought to be the best worker on your job. Am I telling it right? God help us. Say, well, I'm not going to put up with this, and I'm not going to put up with that. The Bible says to be obedient unto their own masters. You do what you're told or find a new job. That's what the New Testament teaches. Now, a lot of people don't like that, but that's what your Bible teaches. If you don't like what they're paying you, and you express yourself, they won't pay you anymore, find you another job. Amen. Amen. That's hard to do. And don't smack anybody in the process. Exert, exhort servants to be obedient to their own masters and to please them well in all things. Is anybody dumb enough to think if they come to you and say you're not allowed to pray that you have to obey that? So what does he mean by all things? I think we know. Right? Just use discernment with that. He's not talking about things that are biblical, things that God's commanded you to do. Uh, but you're to obey your masters and to please them well in all things. And Ephesians brings this more out, but I don't feel like that's where the Lord wants us to be. Not answering again. So I think that speaks for itself, as difficult as that is. Man, we know on our jobs how difficult that is. I'll do what I'm told, but I'm going to make myself known that I'm not happy about it. The Bible's not for that. You're better off just keep your mouth shut and do what, do what they asked you to do. Young man, you're out here on the job. You're working for somebody and they have you work. Just do what you're asked to do. They're the ones that own the company and they're paying your bills. If you don't like it, go work somewhere else. That's how the free market works. And if they don't treat people right, they'll go under because won't nobody work for them. The market will take care of it. Right, But as long as you're going to work for them, do what they ask you to do. And don't smart off and run your mouth back to them. Right? That's good, isn't it? Even on a Sunday morning. I don't like that, preacher. I don't like it either. But you got to do it. I've mentioned my problems. I've been through. I had a boss. Boy, he couldn't stand me because I said something about Catholics. And he was one of them altar boys. He was a devout Catholic. I didn't have no idea. Uh, but uh, I said a pretty harsh statement about Catholics, and I had no idea he was a Catholic. He hated me from that day forward. Anything he could find me doing wrong. And God for three years worked in me to learn how to just submit myself to that wicked man. He was wicked. But man, God helped me as a Christian to just do what I was asked to do, even to the forward. Not purloining. Let me give you these, and then I want to get to the, the message. Not purloining. That means not keeping back. Not purloining, but showing all good fidelity. That word fidelity means moral conviction or consistency of faith. Not keeping back anything, not withholding anything, uh, not just doing the bare minimum to, to get by and uh, uh, not doing much else, Right? But showing all good faithfulness, all good consistency of the faith. Showing all good moral conviction. Be a hard worker. Be a good worker. Represent the Lord on your job. Amen. Amen. We won't go to the masters because Ephesians did that and it's not in here. Not answering again, not purloining, but showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. 
Now that's easier said than done. You'll find that to be quite difficult as you get older. But the Lord will help you to do it. Now, he deals with that heading to follow. He deals with honor in the field. And then we'll take just a few minutes. We'll come back here tonight in verse number 11. He said, uh, we're going to look at uh, the holiness and the faithful. This is something that gets left off from, from a lot of preaching and teaching our day, uh, but it's just as uh, true and just as real uh, in our Bible. It's something that needs to be preached more and more as we go along and see how people are living and teaching and think the Christian life is. We need to preach this message more and more, and that's why he says, affirm these things constantly. Verse number 11, Titus chapter 2, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. Now, I'm going to stop right there and just say a few things. Uh, and just in kind of introduction here, holiness in the faithful. Uh, grace is not a license that res- to result in careless living. Holiness will not be a result of an accident, but done with labor and intention. Uh, the grace of God uh, that appears, uh, uh, let's see, verse number 11, the grace of God that bringeth salvation uh, hath appeared to all men. Now, uh, there's two ways this is taken. I'll give you two ways and we're going to move on. Uh, it's talking about all men that are saved, all men that he's talking to. The grace of God that bringeth salvation has a, certainly appeared uh, to all saved men. But I, I don't believe that's what it's talking about. I think it's talking to all men. I believe because it's not talking about salvation that came as a result. It's talking about what's being spoken of here and the subject of this sentence is speaking about the grace of God. So the grace of God has appeared to all men. And salvation is by grace. So salvation, uh, the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared unto all men. All men, even in the jungles of Africa, are not ignorant to the gracious God of heaven. In fact, when they look at the creation, understanding the things that cannot be seen by the things that are made, they understand that God is holy and that they are unholy and they are unable to bridge the gap and the difference. So they try to worship idols created with hands. And when they knew God, they worshiped him not as God. And all those things that result in them being reprobated. But this much they know. When God did good and he sent rain and fruitful seasons, not leaving himself without witness. What is God showing? The unmerited favor in his character towards unfavorable people. That grace has appeared to all men. So if Jesus comes today and you're not saved and you go to hell, it won't be because you didn't understand the grace of God. The gracious character of God has been made manifested to all men. God is gracious in in, in giving his unmerited favor to all men. Any man is a, can possibly be a recipient of this gracious salvation that is unmerited by God, by, by you. All men. So he starts out with that first statement and says the grace of God, which we define as the unmerited favor of God. That has appeared to all men, even unsaved men. And here's what, it, here's what comes with the grace of God. And I, I tell you, I don't know. I could about upchuck if I hear anybody say anymore, it's all about grace. And that shouldn't be that way. Because you know what? It is all about grace. It is all grace. 
But what they mean by that is, it doesn't matter what you do, how you sin, how you live, how you cuss, how you dress, what you think, where you go, what movies you watch. Nothing matters anymore. It's just all about grace. We're under grace. Well, you've made a mistake in the scriptures to believe that, my friend. The Bible said the grace of God that does bring salvation has appeared to all men. And there's a comma here. That's not the end of the sentence, right? Comma. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. So even unsaved people see that they should live in a manner that's above the current place they're living. Right. Even they see that when God's grace has been manifested to all men. They see that they are living in a way that's displeasing to God and they need to live better. Right. They see that. It's teaching them that. Why do they ever seek God to begin with? Because they cannot live soberly and righteously and godly. Right? How many of you heard that when the Bible came to you and it was preached and you tried a little reformation? You tried to do a little better. And it got you how far? Probably not even to Sunday night. Am I telling it right? Didn't get you nowhere. So you kept on trying. Well, I'm going to put this down. I'm going to quit smoking. I'm going to quit cussing. I'm going to quit running around with that crowd. I'm going to do right. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And it wouldn't last till you got to your work on Monday. So what'd you do? You kept going back and you heard it again until finally God illuminated your mind and opened you up to the reality that you must cast yourself wholly on Jesus, that you can't live the Christian life apart from the life of God. But you know what it still taught you to do? When that realization come that Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to them that believe, when you understood that you can't live good enough to be accepted of God, you can't put off enough things, put on enough things, you can't do anything to merit God's favor. You do nothing to deserve it. It's all about casting yourself on Jesus. Even in that moment and in that hour, there's something that came into you that taught you that you were to live soberly, that you were to live righteously, and that you were to live godly in this world. There is not that moment when I got down on that altar some 13, 14 years ago and bowed my head and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, did I come up and say, thank God, now I can do dope in peace. You're a nut to believe that. You're crazy if you believe something like that. You know what did come to me? It come to me the same thing that I'd seen every time God's grace came and appeared to me. It just come and showed me that he fulfilled it all for me. But now God still expects a saved person to live soberly, to live righteously, and to live godly, not in the world to come, but in the world they live in today. It's all about grace. Be careful saying that because grace demands a lot out of you. God's grace that brought you salvation comes with a lot. I say, well, we're not under the law. No, you're not. You're under something much, uh, much higher now. You're bound by cords much stronger. It's a, it's a law to Christ, a law of love. It's a, a law demanding you that denying yourself. Amen. That's hard enough. Right. You got to live soberly and righteously and godly. And what it is in our day, people just want to get up and they want to shout and rejoice that all their sins are washed away in Jesus. Hallelujah for that, friend. Your sins are washed away in Jesus. 
You are just as pure as snow when it comes to your standing. Well, what would this mean otherwise? This has nothing to do with position. Positionally speaking, you are just as holy and righteous and you have just as much right to heaven as Jesus himself positionally. This is talking about what? This present world, which is practice. You cannot add anything to your position. You can't do good enough to be more positionally holy and accepted in the beloved. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. You can't live soberly and righteously and godly enough to change that. You are just as holy as God is when it comes to this matter of position. This is not a positional verse. Right? There is now therefore no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. That's not practice. That's position. You're positioned in Christ. Right? It explains itself. So the grace of God that appeared and brought salvation to you, if it taught you that you're at liberty to live and to please yourself and live in ungodliness and live in sin and excuse it by grace, it wasn't God's grace that came to you. You've been deceived. Right? Because God's grace that brings salvation will teach you to deny ungodliness. So let me give you just a couple of things. We'll go home. I'm just going to take just a second and do this one verse. We'll come back here tonight. Uh, but uh, he expects holiness in the faithful. This is the, uh, that bringeth salvation has appeared unto all men. Thankful for that. Uh, why, why I think he is, is saying that here is because he's just expected a lot out of a lot of different people. You've got aged men, aged women, young women, young men, preachers that are being ordained in every city. And every one of them, if they're saved, they, they were manifested a grace that is teaching them something. So for you to demand, to demand them to live soberly is not beyond the expectation of what God's grace is teaching them. You're taught yourself. When I get up here and say uh, we ought to live holy, there's something inside you saying, I know, preacher, God's been telling me that all week. I just need help doing it. (laughs) Well, I can't help you with that. But I refuse to change the truth because few of us are able to live in it. The truth is the truth regardless of what we do with it. Right? And so... The grace of God that bringeth salvation appeared unto all men, teaching us, in verse number 12, denying ungodliness. Let me give you these and we'll go home. Grace teaches. Uh, now, I like this because this is not a, uh, um, uh, well, I'm not go there. Okay, grace teaches what to deny. So we're going to look at, uh, we don't do this, we'll, we'll, we'll go home before we finish all this. But grace teaches us what to deny, grace teaches us what to do, grace teaches us what to desire, and grace teaches us what to depend on. That's what he's going to say in these next verses to us. So when the world gets online and they start posting this garbage about, and, 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 and I hate to refer to it that way, folks, but if you're saying that all your sins are washed away and it's good and you can just go on and live in adultery and filth and fornication, you are misusing, that you are misapplying the grace of God. You, are, you, you have turned it into lasciviousness. It, it is not the grace that God's Holy Spirit is teaching to his people. God's grace is not teaching us to live at liberty, to live in sin. God forbid. We are at liberty to serve God and serve one another. 
That's what I'm set at liberty to do. I'm set at liberty to live in a manner that pleases my father. And we're wrong to tell people anything else. When you go to somebody and they're all down about, well, you know, I'm out of church. I don't pray. don't read my Bible. I'm, I, I'm mad at God. I'm, I'm living in sin. I'm living as a whatever. And they're going, don't sit there and tell them, well, thank God for grace. Right? I mean, true thank God for grace. But my goodness, friend, grace ought to be teaching you to deny some things in this world. You ought to deny ungodliness. The first thing it teaches us is what to deny. Man, when I got saved, there wasn't no soul winner's class. Brother Michael, there wasn't, uh, Brother Jeff didn't do a, a class on teaching me what I should want to do and how I should want to live. God put a life in me and God's grace was teaching me that I had begun a journey to walk in the spirit and not fulfill the lust of the flesh. I was to deny some ungodly things in my life. I want to promise you, my friend, anything that's ungodly that you allow into your life will come to haunt you one day. You better deny the ungodly things the world's coming at you with. You have to deny them. Say, well, I can't. You're a liar is what you are. If you're saved, yes, you can. God provides a way of escape. Preacher, I didn't have a choice but to be alone with that girl. You're a liar is what you are. You could have called your preacher and I'd have come picture. Listen, I'm telling you, God has made a way of escape and there's no temptation to take you such as is common to man. There's no excuse for any Christian to live ungodly. There's no excuse. We all do it at some time or another, but there is no excuse for God's people to live ungodly. Deny ungodliness. Say, but you don't understand what this preacher did to me. I'm sorry and I'm not making light of it, but I don't care what that preacher did to you. It doesn't change God's grace. God's grace is still teaching you to deny ungodliness no matter what he did with the truth. God's grace doesn't change because some preacher didn't do right and didn't do what he was supposed to do. Man, put the excuses down and take some personal responsibility for yourself. God's grace didn't just teach that preacher and he failed. God's grace is teaching you and now you're failing. Don't let a man cause you to become what you despise in them. I see that more and more. People, I watch this. Somebody will preach something that's, and I'll agree even, maybe it is done in a hurtful manner, something like that. But you know what I'll notice? They'll get the devil in them, trying to get the devil out of them. They're a sorry, low down, good for now. Oh, that's good Christian talk. You know what's happened? You've let them make you what you claim they are. Don't do that. Somebody's got to stop the ungodly cycle. Somebody's got to be the big person and put their Christian big boy britches on and say, no, you know what? I'm going to love them while myself would like to retaliate, while myself would like to hurt them back, while myself would like to walk off on them and give up on them. Here's what my Bible teaches me. My Bible teaches me to deny all that and to love them for charity never faileth. (laughs) Oh, boy, that's hard. And I don't want none of you reminding me of that when I don't do it. You hear me? That's hard, Brother Reed, isn't it? That's tough living. But that's what's to be expected. Denying ungodliness. Grace teaches us what we should deny. And you know what? It's almost like I'm seeing even in fundamental churches 
It's almost like we're teaching our young people, well, all those standards were all legalism. Look, I don't know. Maybe there was some people along the way that are legalistic and have used that. I don't know. I don't really care. What I'm concerned with is what they said true. Is it right for me to live holy? Say amen to that if you believe that. It is right for a Christian to perfect holiness in the fear of God. So, look, I don't know what's happened all in our fundamental circles all down through the years. I've only been in it under 15 years. And I'm sure a lot of you have seen a whole lot worse stuff than I have. What we need to be concerned with is not what they did with it, but we just need to be concerned in ourselves with what's true and what's right. And I am not because there was some legalist along the way who may have hurt people with the truth. I am not going to change the truth. There's not, that is not reflective of the truth. That is reflective of their character. Right? And so I am not going to then preach that it's okay for you to just, it's all about grace. Don't, don't drive yourself crazy trying to live right. God's forgiven you and you'll end up in heaven. That is a dangerous way for anybody to think. And that's true, Brother Easley. We're going to end up in heaven because of grace. I can't change my position. But you can't go through life with the expectation that I can just live any filthy way that I want to. That is displeasing to God. And God's grace isn't teaching you that. God's grace is teaching me, regardless of what anybody else does, that I am to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts. Can I help you? And I'm done. We'll move on to these next points tonight. Young men especially, you have to deny those lusts. When, it, when it's conceived, when opportunity meets desire, you've got a disaster. And you have to deny those worldly lusts, those ungodly lusts that are still in you. See, if this wasn't possible in a saved man, we wouldn't have it right here in Titus chapter number 2. The grace of God, if, if you were made perfect in the flesh uh, by, uh, at salvation and you had no need of growth and you had, this was not possible for a, for, a, for a Christian to do ungodly things or to uh, follow through on worldly lusts, then why in the world is Titus exhorted to tell people and remind them that God's grace is teaching them to deny godliness and worldly love. That would be ridiculous if it wasn't possible. You better understand your flesh. Your flesh is just as vile and capable of doing exactly what it did before you ever got saved. And so it's still got some of the old same nasty old lust in it and you're going to have to intentionally and purposefully every day of your life deny those lusts that exist in your flesh. Every day. And let me read these to you on this, on this go. I've used my line, all my lines I can use this morning. I'll read you this. The phrase worldly lust refers to all improper desires pertaining to this life. The desire of wealth, pleasure, honor, sensual indulgence. It refers to such passions as the men of this world are prone to and would include all those things which cannot be indulged in with a proper reference to the world to come. God's grace is teaching, practically teaching Christians that are alive upon this earth, saved people, that they have got to deny ungodliness and worldly lust. But we're done. But it won't be enough just to deny those things. There's a lot of people that are very proud of what they don't do. And you're no more satisfying to God than the person that's doing them. It's not enough just to not do a checklist. 
Our churches are dying because a lot of people have a checklist of things they would never do. I'm not going to dip snuff. I'm not going to wear britches. I'm not going to wear short. And they got a checklist of things they won't do. But they are absolutely unprofitable to anybody else in this world. And you'll die in your holy ways and you'll never affect and help anybody. It won't be enough just to deny those things. But then it teaches us not just what to deny, but what to do. So any false teacher that tells you it's all about grace in the sense that it doesn't matter how we live down here is false, mark them, and avoid them. They're false. Any spirit that teaches you it's okay to live in sin is not of God. It's not of God. Well, God understands what we're made of. You're taking that verse out of context. He does understand what you're made of, and that's why positionally he's perfected forever them that are sanctified. You're perfect in Jesus. That's why he did that because he knows what you're made of. But that doesn't change his expectation that you deny ungodliness and live right. Amen. Amen. Boy, that, that, let, me, let me say this, and, I, and I'm done preaching this morning, but I want to say something. I know it seems sometimes as we preachers preach that as in a way it's like we're gloating in that in some way. I, I don't ever want to come across that way. I want you to know something. That's just as hard for me to do as it is for you. But I'm not going to change this Bible. And this Bible expects saved people to live right. And your thoughts of thinking that it doesn't matter and maybe we should go to a church where they don't have any standards and where they don't preach that you got to live holy and we just get in there and cut our black lights on and rock out to Jesus and then we go drink through the week and it doesn't really matter. Jesus made wine. And you start thinking like that, you are headed for total destruction in your Christian life if you even are saved. You know what you need to do? You need to, when you hear yourself saying that, you need to deny that. Say that's not true because that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible's telling me I'm to live righteously and godly. Hallelujah for the truth keeps us on track. And there's a lot of things being taught and preached out there. And uh, I appreciate the Word of God. Come on, Brother Reed's going to give us a verse. But I appreciate the Word of God. It always keeps us straight. It's easy to want to start excusing your sin. It really is. I know by experience. Stand to your feet just a moment. And we'll be dismissed. It's easy to start excusing yourself. Nobody's sins as bad as yours. <laughs> Mine aren't that bad. God understands my raising and what I've been through and what I'm dealing with. And, but your sins are terrible. That's easy to do, but that's not true, right? So, Lord, we love you this morning. Thank you for the grace of God that brought us salvation. And positionally, we stand perfect forever in Christ Jesus. But help us also remember while we're down here on this earth, you command us to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts and live soberly and righteously and godly. And Lord willing, that's what we'll do, God, if you'll help us. Help us, Lord, to live more holy than we've ever lived. This world needs to see a holy church on fire for God. And help us, Lord, to stop trying to live worldly, to reach people and never work. Help us to perfect holiness. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you need to come, the altar's open. What are you singing, Brother Reed? 404. 404. If you want to sing along with Brother Reed.